In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. The parable of the Great Supper is not hard to understand if we have a decent grasp of the New Testament story. The man in the parable is God, and the Great Supper which he gave is the feast of the kingdom that was promised by the Old Testament prophets. The servant is Jesus, who called Israel to the feast, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The invited guests of the people of Israel, who, for the most part, did not repent, but carried on with business as usual. Consequently, the invitation to the feast was extended to those in the streets and lanes of the city, that is, the marginal and non-observant Jews, and then into the highways and hedges to the Samaritans and even to the Gentiles. What is the application of this parable to us? At the time of Jesus, the Gentiles were, as the story suggests, outside of the city. However, in Christ, God has changed the composition of his chosen people so that it now includes all who put their faith in Jesus. The epistle to the Ephesians tells us about the mystery of God's plan, quote, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. We are now the invited guests. In ancient times, an invitation to a feast was sent out in two stages. First, a person would announce the feast and begin to make the preparations. And then when all the preparations were completed, he would say, come, now it's all ready. Now it's time for the feast. In the Old Testament, God let Israel know that the Messianic age was coming. This was the invitation and announcement. And in the New Testament, Jesus arrived and called people to repent. This is when the invited guests were told to come. In one sense, <clears throat> to be a Christian is to have already accepted the invitation. However, in another real sense, the Christian life involves the same two-stage process of invitation and call. The status of Christian is bestowed upon us in baptism. But baptism is followed by a series of calls to respond. That is, calls to live out the reality of our baptism in daily life. We are numbered among God's chosen people by baptism and faith. But at specific moments in time, we are called to particular acts of obedience and service. When we are tested or tempted, we are called to act faithfully right now. When we see Christ present in the least of his brethren in need, and we are able to respond, we are called to come to the feast right now. 
The great danger the parable warns us about is that we might become comfortable with our status as Christians, with our baptism, inner faith, and church membership, but might fail to live out our vocation in real time from day to day. It is possible to become so at ease with the outward motions of the Christian life that we become unaware of unfaithful and habitual patterns of thought and behavior. The invited guests in the parable all went to synagogue and temple, all heard the Torah and said prayers, but all failed to call when Jesus invited them to come. This warns us against what we might call a domesticated faith. A wild dog is a scary creature. He can grab you by the neck and kill or injure you in a very short time. But when we tame a dog and train him, he will come when called, sit when we tell him to sit, and do basically whatever it is we train him to do. There is a wildness to authentic Christian faith. The New Testament is full of threatening passages. Sell all you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. He who loves father or mother, son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. However, we tend to domesticate these and other challenges. And when we're done with our work, being a Christian is reduced to being nice people, having nice families, and being good neighbors. The problem is not only that such domestication does not please God. The problem is also that such domestication doesn't fulfill us either. We take the teeth, the challenge, out of the call to follow Christ, and then we wonder why life doesn't seem to be very rich or meaningful. It turns out that the sharp, two-edged sword of the gospel is meant to cut out our sin, our self-centeredness, and our idolatry. The painful surgery to which we are called results in a new, richer, fuller life. As Jesus said, I am come, they may have life, and may have it more abundantly. We don't come when God calls because we are afraid of losing what we have. But the very things we are afraid of losing are the very things that keep us from enjoying the fullness of the feast. This is why Jesus commands us to be not afraid. The most fulfilled Christians are those who have made the most radical decisions to leave stuff behind for the sake of obedience, who have heeded the call to give and serve in sacrificial ways. The most discontented Christians are always protecting the unfaithful and comfortable status quo and are therefore unwilling to change. 
The remedy for a domesticated faith is to open our eyes and ears to the presence and voice of God and to respond to what we see and hear day by day. Listen to the liturgy. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid. Are you ready for that kind of honest encounter with God? The liturgy forbids communion to those who do not repent, are unwilling to change, and are not in love and charity with their neighbors. Are you sorry for your sins? Are you changing the way you live in accordance with what God is saying to you? Are you being reconciled with the people in your life? Are you asking forgiveness of those you've wronged? And are you forgiving those who have wronged you? The liturgy presumes that you have done this work each and every time you come. The liturgy places a value on you. The body of Christ was given for you. The blood of Christ was shed for you. You are God's adopted child, recreated in the image of Christ. Do you accept that? Or do you still listen to other lying voices that suggest that you are worthless or that your particular sin is too great to be forgiven? Or do you still believe you are great because of all of the wonderful things you have done? God calls you to look at yourself in a new way in Christ. Will you listen? In the light of this new identity bestowed in baptism and renewed in the Eucharist, God calls us to live each day in Christ with our ears open to his voice and our eyes open to his presence around us. Will you begin the day by talking to God in prayer and listening to what God has to say to you in the reading of Holy Scripture? Will you fast in order to sharpen your hearing and clarify your sight? Will you do the new and sacrificial thing that God calls you to do today, tomorrow, or the next day, or whenever it is that God speaks? Will you respond faithfully now? The adventure of the Christian life is precisely that we might be called to new, new things at any time. This is actually what makes the Christian life fun. And this is why we must be attentive to what God is saying. This is why we must keep our eyes open to how God is calling us to serve. When we live attentively and watchfully, we live richer and fuller lives than when we are constantly guarding the mundane status quo because we are afraid of change. Of course, we don't have time for prayer. We can't afford to give as God calls us to give. Our finely tuned schedules do not leave us room to respond 
to the needs of the least of these. Our appetites demand our attention. So prayer, stewardship, and mission to a dying world will have to wait. I bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. There is no good reason, no good excuse, not to be the people God calls us to be and not to do the things God calls us to do now. Come, for all things are now ready. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.